Now in your notes here, in your notes here, um, just to let you know, uh, you have a space here under living in truth rather than lies. And um, that space is basically what we're going to cover this morning. <laughs> so feel free to write all over the paper. Um, you people that I love that take notes. Um, I love the rest of you too. So let's, uh, let's bow our heads and just uh, ask the Lord to, to meet with us in his word this morning. Father, as we continue on with this idea that Jesus is the light of the world, we experience every day the encroaching darkness. We see darkness in the hearts and minds of the people that we love. We are tempted by darkness. We need your light. Lord, we need to be able to <clears throat> to see the world around us through your light. We need to be able to see what is really in our hearts through your light. We're told that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we're told by Jesus to abide in your word, that to be truly disciple of Jesus is to abide in your word. Lord, help us to better understand a little bit of what that means this morning. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in part three here of Jesus is the light for a blind world. <coughs> can understand a little bit more today of, of, of what it means that he's light for a blind world rather than for a dark world. In the backdrop of the celebration of the lighting of the temple as a part of the Feast of Tabernacles, if you remember that is where this is taking place, in light of his teaching we're told that many believed in Christ. But in focusing on these that were in agreement with what he had to say, it says, and he, and he began to teach those who believed in him. Jesus made this statement, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. <coughs> now the main idea that we're unfolding over these three Sundays is that truly following Christ means continually experiencing him in truth and freedom. I believe that, that Jesus, as recorded by John through the rest of this chapter, is unpacking this statement. That if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, if I were to fall unconscious right now, I had hope that you would be concerned if I were alive or not, okay? And to find out if I were alive, <clears throat> you, wouldn't, 
go to Kelly and ask her to go home and get my birth certificate and bring it here. Just to double check, right? You'd come up here and check if I was breathing. You'd check my pulse. You, you, you'd see if I was moving. My birth certificate wouldn't matter at that point. The question is, what's going on right now? In the same way, Jesus doesn't hand out a certificate to these people that are in agreement with him. He doesn't tell them, you need to remember that on this day, October 5th, 33 AD, you believed. He tells them, if you're alive, if, you abide, if you're alive in me, you're going to abide in my teachings. If you abide in my teachings, you are truly my disciple. And you'll know the truth by experience more and more, and the truth will set you free. Last week, we looked at at some of what it means to be set free. We looked at the fact that truly following Christ means freedom rather than slavery to sin. <clears throat> and we see this, it kind of unpacks the idea of the truth will set you free. We talked about how Jesus' statement assumes that we are in bondage and in need of being set free. This touched off a heated discussion between the crowd and Jesus because of the prideful assumptions of the crowd that we're talk- he was talking with. It says, they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will be free? You will become free. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father And you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. The works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. You know, we have a saying that you can finish, I'm sure. If the shoe fits, wear it, right? Much of what Jesus' is, following conversation here is for the purpose of helping the crowd to realize just where they fall. For this conversation, it would, you could say, if the belief fits, own it. And today we look at the fact that truly following Christ means living in truth rather than lies. He continues on in verse 43 and he says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. 
So he's asking this rhetorical question, and he answers it with the authoritative truth. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The reason that Jesus gives for the people not understanding his teaching is that they can't bear it. He's literally saying they aren't able to hear and accept what he is saying. Then he goes on to describe the one that he says their father is, and that's the devil. He's been alluding to this idea prior to this, leading up to it. And here he comes right out and says it. And we're confronted with the idea that lies come from God's adversary. And he's been working, uh, he's been at work sowing lies against God's truth ever since he fell as an angel. And, and I think it's important to just stop here for a second and mention the devil is not God's equal. Okay? He's not Jesus' equal either, as Jesus is the Son of God. The devil is a powerful angel, but he was just an angel all the same. In fact, if he were to have an equal match, it would probably be the archangel Michael or someone of that rank. But with this, we can, we can highlight the fact that an angel's chief role is to be a messenger. That's what the Greek term angelos means. It literally means messenger. And so the devil's only weapon is a false message, a lie. But he's effective even still as our fleshly minds are eager for any lie that will puff them up, that will make us into something more than we are, that that will tell us we could be our own God. And this world is the devil's domain to use for his purposes as God allows. Through his lies, the devil led humanity into death through disobedience as God warned it would happen in Genesis 3. And in this sense, Satan is the father of lies and a murderer from the beginning. As a side note here, I want to just kind of point out that the debate over the illegitimate idea of homosexual marriage is not about marriage. It's not about love. It's not about rights. It's about the authority of Scripture. It's about the authority of Scripture because Scripture is clear that marriage was created to be between one man and one woman as the first cultural institution that God created. God did not bring Eve to Adam and say, this is your woman. He said, behold your wife. And the reason why gender issues, God's ability to create in seven days, marriage 
The reason why these things are so under attack is because they are so foundational to the rest of the way we were meant to live. And so I just want to point out that even in this debate that is going on, it is an issue of the authority of Scripture. The devil is still simply saying, did God really say? And what's the most alarming is that he's saying this in the church and in church board meetings and in the pastor's study. And that's what's most alarming about this issue at this point. So off of our side note there. So Jesus continues with a logical argument in the discussion here. Pick up in verse 45 that says, But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So Jesus is saying, here's a logical argument. Satan is the father of lies. I am sinless and telling the truth, which comes straight from God. You are not believing me, but believing lies about me. If you were of God, you'd be believing me. You are not of God, but of the father of lies. That's his logical argument through this. And his conclusion, you need to know the truth in order to be set free from lies. What did he say? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They were not set free from these lies. Within our passage, there's a lot of back and forth between Jesus and his opponents. And to some degree, the discussion is driven by the crowd's accusations. But there are points in this where Jesus' statements go off like a starter pistol in the middle of a crowd. And one of these statements is found in verse 47, where he says, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, within this statement, we're reminded that of the illuminating truth of God's grace. Now, this isn't on your bulletin notes there, but, but it just kind of fits into that spot underneath this idea of, <coughs> excuse me, needing to know the truth, truth rather than lies. The idea of hearing the words of God or being able to bear Jesus' words is, a vi- is vital to a person's spiritual condition. Jesus will connect the truth to being free and following him at other times as well. In John 14, 6, he'll, talk, he'll speak of how life and truth and the way to the Father is intimately entwined in who he is. In the verse that you would well recognize, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Very exclusive. Very exclusive. 
In his prayer for his followers, including us, Jesus speaks of the sanctifying work of the truth. And we'll, we'll get to this eventually. John 17, 17 through 19, where he says, sanctify them. Praying to the Father says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And for your, their sake, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, in the end, Jesus is making the statement in order to point out that those who argue against him were just showing that they are not of God. This is a reminder to us of the grace that's required for a person to be able to hear and believe and follow Christ. Recall that John makes this haunting statement back in John 1 that leaves us asking, how is this possible? How can this have happened? How can this be? And the statement was this in John 1, 10, and 11. There we go. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. There's been a theme running through this gospel that has given some explanation to this statement. It's made us uncomfortable at times. But John is specifically answering this question. How is it that Jesus came into the world that was made through him? Not just that, he came to those who were his own people and they did not receive him. How can this be? And the theme running through John's gospel has been answering this and the explanation that John has given us time and time again is that there are those who are going to choose Christ because God has initiated a relationship with them. It's been Jesus' explanation for why so many of his followers stopped following him Back in John 6, we read, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We'll read in John 10 how Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He'll use the same explanation for why some don't follow his voices while others do. Where he says in John 10, 26 through 27, You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And here in our passage, Jesus describes those who hear or who can bear his word as being of God. This statement implies the same as these other statements from this gospel. We're reminded that God is intimately involved with man's salvation from the beginning of time. As, as we're described in Ephesians as having been chosen before the foundation of the world. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. 
And this doctrine that runs through the Gospel of John only highlights all the more the illuminating truth of God's grace. And this begs the question, why aren't these Jews believing in Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah? If anyone should have put the dots together, connected the dots and put it together, it should have been these people. And we see from this then the blinding lies of religion He says, the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. These were very devout religious people that Jesus was speaking to. These folks had more scripture memorized than you and I could ever dream of. They celebrated annually, several times a year, feasts and celebrations that, that looked back on God's faithfulness and anticipated the coming Messiah. They looked with expectation to his coming, but the inability to receive God's truth is not new in the world in which the devil is at work. As the prophet Jeremiah experienced, and he says to God, to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are uncircumcised and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord is to them an object of scorn. They take no pleasure in it. The apostle Paul describes man's inability to hear the truth in this way. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The fact is that God must enable us to turn from religion to receive his relationship through Christ. Religion is like a mirage in the desert that we hungering for a relationship with God, wandering in the desert, look over when the real opportunity of a relationship with God through Christ is just over the horizon, but we see this mirage that looks like water. And it it ends up a deadly pit stop for a person on their way to the grace of God through Christ. The fact is, as I said, God must enable us to turn from religion and receive his relationship through Christ. And we've read this from 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and 6 before that describes the situation of a person that just cannot believe in the gospel of Christ to save them. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So in other words, for any one of us, we would have been like these people arguing with Jesus that Jesus could be standing right before us 
with the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, and without God's grace, we would be blinded to it because of how devastating our sin is. But verse 6 shows God's grace. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We see here the work of the father of lies must be overcome by God's light of truth. All right. I have a, uh, a concept, a, an analogy, if you will. We're going to be a little shorter than normal today, but, but um, I really think that next week is going to be the time to get into Jesus' statement that if you believe me, you will never face death. Um, but analogies are, are frail, and, and they can't be teased out too far. Uh, but I have the task of taking the abstract and explaining it with the tangible. Okay, so think of unblemished creation. Think of, of the, the relationship with God that we were meant to live in as being like a cruise ship. Okay, and think of humanity as we were made to live, Adam and Eve, if you will, walking around naked on the cruise ship, I guess. But um, <laughs> it's one of those boats. Um, but it's just them. Okay, so think of that relationship that we were meant to have, okay? Eating with God, sunning ourselves with God, relaxing with God. Spending time with God. You know, that's just the, the I, I've never been on one, but that just, to me, that's like the image of the cruise ship. It's like, there's nothing to do but what you want to do. You know, that that's the relationship with God that we were meant to have, okay? Now, at some point in time, the enemy, the father of lies, steps forward and says, and this cruise ship just seems like it's going nowhere, it just seems like it's just sitting still. And he steps forward and he said, you know, you could do this. In fact, you could do better than this. Do you really just want to sit here? Do you really just want to stay in one place? See that rowboat over there? That's your ticket to being it. You can be like God. You can have your own ship. And, and you can get in it, and you can row anywhere you want to go. Why just sit still in the middle of this vast ocean? You got this. Okay, so Adam and Eve look at each other, and they say, we got this. We could be our own, have our own boat, go somewhere, actually. So they climb in the rowboat, and they lower down off the ship. They lower out of that perfect relationship with God. And really, the lie was, you can have both. You can have your own boat, and you can come enjoy the cruise ship anytime you want. But they'd been warned, to walk away from me is death. 
And the lie, the reason why he is a murderer from the beginning, is in reality that cruise ship is sitting in a current, a current of death. And the minute that rowboat hit the water, it was swept into the current of death. And so here we are today in our rowboats, separated from that relationship with God that we were intended to have. Okay? Now, there are boats out there that are being commanded or being directed by people like who Jesus is talking to here. And they got their megaphones and they say, see this law? We've been told, row. Row as hard as you can. Row as fast as you can. And that can only mean that by rowing as hard as we can and as fast as we can, that we can achieve getting back to God. And so they're on their megaphone saying, row, row, you got this, you can do it, row harder. And that's why their father is the father of lies, because it's the same message. You've got it, you can do it, you can be righteous enough. Just row harder. Now the gospel, the good news is that Christ ventured to us carrying, purchased by his life and death and resurrection, tow ropes for every boat. And simply by receiving it, we can be connected back to that and be slowly redeemed. And we'll never be fully back there until we are in God's presence. And that's what the gospel is, is it's a tow rope back to him. It's, a, it's God's grace is like an unseverable tow rope pulling us along and towing us toward him. It's keeping us from being further separated from him. We're in relationship with him based on his grace, his power, his righteousness. We still have the commands to row, to obey. But all we're doing is participating with what he's doing. If we accomplish anything, it's by his power. It's by his grace. We're simply participating in his work in our life. It's not the basis of our growing closer to him. <clears throat> okay, so you got these jokers. I'm sorry, that's disrespectful. You've got these folks like who Jesus is talking to here saying, it's all on you, row, row. But you know what? You kind of have also this in-between. And some of this even falls under the, the label of Christian. And that is, if you could just make yourself more appealing, God will connect his tow rope of grace to you. If you can just show yourself as being uh, savable or clean yourself up a little bit. Or 
you also have another little version of that that's row harder. You're connected to him, but that tow rope could break at any moment. You got to keep rowing or it might snap. And that's not the gospel of God's grace. You see how these are kind of different versions of legalism. I want to share a quote with you that, that just hits me like a ton of bricks. It's from Tim Keller. Um, the truth that we need in order to be set free from religious efforts is described in this. And it says this, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. See, to think, if I could just row hard enough, I could get there is to not believe or not understand or to be caught up in this lie that I am not that bad. And we can rest in just how strong and unseverable let, let, me, let me just say, to, to put it this way, God is more set apart, running it through this analogy that we're using, God is more set apart in our sinful condition than we ever dared believe. That cruise ship that we were intended to live with him is so far from us because of our sin than we can ever believe. We are further away from that life than we were intend, that we were intended to live than, with him than we can imagine. But the tow rope, of his love and grace and acceptance is stronger than we ever dared hope. No matter how many times we have to come to him and say, Lord, I've screwed up again. And that's important. It never breaks the tow rope of his grace if we've accepted Christ as our Savior. And the, and the evidence of that is that we're abiding in his word. What word? That word, the gospel. That gospel relationship with him. If we can internalize the truth of who we are in Christ as fully accepted, loved, and righteous before God, and just who this God is, is that has brought us into relationship with himself, we will never fall for the lies of the devil. That's why when you come here, I hope that you are always pointed to who God is and who Christ is and how much we need him and how much he is fully ours in Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father, Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that we, despite turning away from you, despite having everything we needed from you, we ventured off on our own. That as we remember this in this season, uh, 
more than other times maybe even, you chose to send your son and at great sacrifice bind us to yourself through the person and work of Christ so that we might have an unseverable relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to stand in that grace. I pray, Lord God, that you'd allow us to walk in your truth. I pray, Lord God, that you'd allow us to resist the lies that tell us it's all up to us. That we got this. Thank you for your grace, Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.